Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 137, Secretly at Home. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play the third message from Benjamin Evans. The message is four seconds long and comes from the fall of 1989. Here we go. Paul, if you're secretly at home. I think it said, Paul, if you're secretly at home. I think it's implying that there was something going on relevant right then. So if you were home and you were screening your calls, as we all knew you often did, then I was trying to tempt you to pick up and, you know, whatever thing was happening, then, you know, you could go out and and join it. You're right. I think you were responding to an outgoing message where I pretended that I was at home and I was screening my calls, but I don't think I ever actually screened my calls. Those were some of my joke outgoing messages. Do you remember me as like a prankster? I don't remember you as a prankster, but I do remember you as someone who enjoyed prodding and provoking a little for a humorous response. I think I was kind of a jerk. I'm kind of surprised people put up with me. I remember you, you were a guy that loves to ask questions. So here's my question. How did you end up at the University of Chicago? I kind of had a sense that the University of Chicago was like, like, if you're going to go to school, you might as well go to a serious school, you know? And I also had a sense that Chicago was a really cool city. Thinking of like Studs Terkel, who who I, I knew, you know, in that, that famous book about Division Street and Nelson Algren and obviously music, not just the blues and jazz, but also, you know, the whole punk scene, Touch and Go Records and Big Black and, you know, all that stuff. Did you visit Chicago before you started in the fall? No, I'd never been there before in my life. It was a total leap of faith. So what were your first impressions of Chicago when you moved there? Here's the bizarre thing about Chicago for me as a newcomer in 1988. It was such a kind of like segmented, compartmentalized city. And I think at the time, maybe the most segregated city in the U.S. And um, I remember... At one point, my friend came to visit, and you're living in, in Hyde Park, right? Which is like this bizarre, isolated hamlet. It's like a small college town south of Chicago. So to get to where a lot of things that I was interested in were happening, that was all on the north side. And, and you're like, well, how do I get from here to there? You know, we were like, well, we know the loop is north of here. And there's this beautiful lake here. And maybe we just walk along this lake. We'll just walk until we get to something interesting. So we just kind of like set out from the the point, you know, walking north. And after a while, we're like, boy, it's really far. I'll tell you one adventure we had early on. My roommate, uh, Mark Schwartz, who's from South Bend, Indiana, he had a little bit of a better kind of sense. And he knew about the Chicago Reader and the new city. So at one point, he was like, oh, we got to go to River North to this art gallery opening because uh, William S. Burroughs is having a show there. The art that he was showing was these wooden doors. And what he would do, I think he was based out of Lawrence, Kansas at the time. And so he would like go outside, set up this door in a field or something. And then he'd have like a little stand with a spray paint can. And then he'd get out his shotgun and shoot the spray paint can and it would explode and, you know, put paint all over the door. And by kind of like layering these different colors of spray paint cans, 
that he would shoot with his shotgun create this image on the door. So he was having a show, some gallery in River North. We had no idea how to get there. It was like this epic journey, you know, on public transportation. But eventually we got there and it was like jam. You know, we, we were just like young kids who were trying to meet William S. Burroughs, but it was so crowded and he had like this whole entourage around him. So we couldn't even get close to him. But then Mark was like, hey, that looks like Grant Hart. And I was like, no way. Because like in our mind, like the guys from like a band like Who's Could Do, they didn't even exist in the same reality that we did. But there he was. It really was Grant Hart. He was a real person. So Mark went over to him and was like, hey, uh, we're really big fans of Who's Could Do, and, um, which Grant Hart was like pissed off about because at that point, I think he had left Who's Could Do or the band had broken up. And Mark was like, yeah, and we're DJs at WHPK, and we'd like to interview you for the WHPK magazine. And he was like, eh, well, okay, don't ask me about Who's Could Do, but you can come to this spot in Wicker Park. My new band is uh, practicing there, this, this band, The Swallows. And so we're like, oh, okay, great, we'll be there. And so we were like getting on this bus, getting on that bus, like the bus we wanted was like not running because it was too late. But eventually we found this place and we hear like rock and roll music. So we follow the music and we go into the basement and sure enough, his band was playing there. And then we, we interviewed him in the laundry room. And, uh, and then the WHPK magazine published the interview. WHPK magazine is a fantastic example of the vast literature from the past that lacks an online presence, a point I frequently make in this podcast. This is especially true of so-called zines, cheaply made periodicals with a small circulation that proliferated in the 1970s and 80s with the rise of punk rock, which was often their focus. According to WorldCat, the only library that holds archives of WHBK magazine is the Chicago Public Library, which, according to their website, has issues from fall of 1986 to fall of 1989. Fortunately, Ben sent me a copy of the fall 1988 issue from his personal collection and it contains the interview with Grant Hart. The introduction to the interview notes meeting Hart, just as Ben said, at the opening of William S. Burroughs' art exhibit at the Klein Gallery that took place Friday, October 21, 1988. The late 80s, saw something of a Burroughs renaissance across multiple media formats. The same week of his Klein Gallery exhibition, Chicago's Prop Theater produced an adaptation of his screenplay, The Last Words of Dutch Schultz. In 1989, Burroughs appeared in the film Drugstore Cowboy, and a year later, he released the album Dead City Radio, discussed last week as the possible inspiration for the Nihilator show in which Ben appeared. As for Grant Hart, in his interview with Ben, he says his primary reason for coming down from the Twin Cities was to see the Burroughs exhibit and prop theater production. On Saturday, 
Hart planned to open for the band Game Theory at Cabaret Metro, but that show fell through. So Ben had the privilege of seeing Hart's group, The Swallows, perform to a small audience in a north side basement. And from what I can tell searching online archives, he may have been one of the few fans to see The Swallows outside of Minneapolis, since by 1989, Hart had formed a new band called Nova Mob, which significantly comes from Burroughs' 1964 novel, Nova Express. If you have an encounter with a punk rock or beat poet legend to share, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Many thanks to Ben for sharing his encounters. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.